Hey Church, uh, good morning. It's really great to be here. Uh, and really, it's a privilege to be able to preach live to you, even right now, uh, from church. You know, some of you, you may know this, but because of the uncertainty towards COVID, I mean, COVID cases on the rise, rumours was uh, there's going to be a full lockdown happening soon. So in preparation for all that, we actually recorded the same sermon that I'm preaching right now, on Friday as a backup, just in case none of us could make it here on Sunday. At least you still have uh, the word for you. And you know, when I think about that, all the arrangements that need to happen, and I see that really this whole season that we are in, the whole COVID situation has changed a lot of the way we live our lives. And I think that's why this series that we are doing, this two-week series called How Then Shall We Live? It's so applicable, it's so relevant, it's so timely to the season that we are in. And you know, if you're following us so far, I hope you enjoyed last week's sermon from Pastor Team. And when I think about it, I realize, regardless of COVID, I think all of us, we have pockets in our life where we have a how then shall we live kind of moment. All right, for instance, recently, uh, my car got into an accident, okay? And because of the accident, my sister, cannot go to her school. She can't drive the car to her school all the way in KL and we stay in Subang, all right? And it was a complex issue because she has a lot of things to carry. She's a fashion design student, so she has bags, she has clothes to carry and all that. And the public transport is not very near to our place. So we were like, how then shall we live in that kind of situation without a car? And I think this series is especially important because I find that the principles and the beliefs that we hold tend to affect the decisions or rather the life that we eventually live. For instance, going back to the car accident example, if I held a principle of convenience, okay, it's all about convenience, then I might just tell my sister, you know what, it's going to be tight on our pockets this season, but just use e-hailing services every day. 40 ringgit to school, 40 ringgit back. Okay, it's okay, it's convenient, all right? If I held the principle of being cautious with money, being careful in how I spend my money, then perhaps I might tell my sister, you know what, I think it's going to be a very difficult season. I know you got a lot of things to carry, but I think public transport is the way to go, all right? It's a cheaper option, it saves money and all that. But if, let's say, I held the principle of belief that there must be another way. Maybe I held the principle of being resourceful and all that, then I might look for another option. I might go and see, okay, which friend of mine stays also at Subang and has to travel to KL? Maybe my sister can just hitchhike their car or sit their car for the season uh, where our car is being repaired. So you can see the principles that we hold eventually affect the kind of life that we live. And the kind of life that we hope as a church we can live during this season is demonstrated in Romans 12. We hope as a church during this season, we can rejoice in hope, we can be patient in tribulation, and we can be constant in prayer. And I think Pastor Tim did a brilliant job last weekend talking about the principle behind rejoicing in hope. How really, in order to rejoice in hope, it's for us to be fully rested in who Jesus is. That's the principle behind being able to live a life rejoicing in hope. And today, my goal is to unpack the next two parts, be patient in tribulation and to be constant in prayer. And hopefully, by talking about the kind of life that we hope to live, I can introduce certain principles for us to be able to live out that kind of life. 
And you know, when I read the patient in, in tribulation, when I understood what it meant, you know what, honestly, if I got a, an opportunity to meet Paul, I would say, Paul, this is such a difficult request. It's a difficult thing to do. Why? You know, this word tribulation, uh, when you look into the root word, it comes from the word thlipsis, okay? I may not be able to pronounce it correctly, but it means to be crushed, to be pressed, to be squeezed, to be burdened, or trouble. You know, when Paul talks about tribulation, he's not talking about some minor annoyances, like, oh, let's say I go and order, uh, this is my classic story, I go and order wonton mee. And then no wonton, oh God, this is a tribulation. Oh, Jason, be patient, be patient. That's not what Paul is talking about when he talks about tribulation. He's talking about a deep trouble. In fact, I want to read a verse from 2 Corinthians uh, that I find helps us to see, hear, and understand what Paul is talking about and why I'm picking from 2 Corinthians is because historians believe that 2 Corinthians is written very close in time to Roman, okay? And 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8 reads this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Let me read the last line again. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You know, there were many speculations as to what this tribulation uh, was, okay? So on one hand, you have scholars who believe that it was persecution. Paul is talking about persecution. And at that time, Paul was no stranger to being persecuted for his faith. All right, he has been stoned uh, almost close to death. His friends thought he died. He has been uh, whipped 39 lashes and all that. This guy is not a stranger to persecution. On the other hand, however, there's scholars who also believe that Paul is actually referring to a recurring physical illness. All right, and perhaps some of us, we may not be able to relate much with persecution, but when it comes to physical illness, I think most of us, we understand just how physical illness can cause life to be so, so troubled. And what Paul essentially was trying to say when he talked about tribulation is this. It's a season in which life is more than we can bear. You know, when I think about it, a life that is so heavy that I can't bear, if I want to be honest, I would want to back away from from life in that kind of situation. I would want to withdraw myself from the demands of life during that situation. Why? Because it's a difficult time to be in. And I can recall, of course, uh, this tribulation looks differently for each of us. Okay, if you are a parent, it looks differently from uh, the tribulation of a student. Okay, and I remember in uni, I had a friend who broke up with his girlfriend. And for him, that season was a season of crushing. All right. And I remember after that broke up, breakup, he withdrew from life. He really did. He stopped attending classes. Uh, he could not focus on his assignment. In fact, group assignments. This guy used to be a scholar. He used to be a smart guy. He could not focus on any of the group assignments. In fact, some of his group members were complaining about him and he often locked himself in the room and whatnot. What happened? Because life was crushing him, he naturally withdrew from the demands of life. And honestly, I think that is a 
That is something people often do, myself included. And I think that's why I personally think Paul's request is such a difficult thing to do. Because in the face of such a life, Paul tells us to be patient. And this patient is not talking about, okay, let me just wait for this difficult season of my life to pass over, then only I will resume my life like normal. No, that's not what this patient means. It's not the kind of patience where perhaps you're at a hospital room, you register, and then you're sitting there waiting for your name to be called, and you're patiently waiting. No, that's not the kind of patience that Paul is talking about. Instead, when we look at the root word of patience, it comes from the word hypomino, all right? which means endurance, the kind of endurance someone who runs a marathon has. That it may be tiring, he may have thoughts of giving up, but he keeps on going. Another translation of this hupomino that I really like is this. It means to stand my ground. And when we piece these two words, being patient in tribulation, what Paul is essentially trying to tell us is this. In a season where you feel crushed, in a season where you feel burdened, in a season when you feel like the demands of life is squeezing you, all right? You may feel like backing out, you may feel like withdrawing from life, but in that season, we stand our ground. That's what Paul is trying to say when he says, be patient in tribulation. And honestly, Paul often echoes this message throughout his letters. In fact, it wasn't just Paul, James also echoed it. Peter also echoed it. In fact, when you read Acts, you would see a lot of the disciples live that kind of life out. To be patient in tribulation, to stand their ground in a season of crushing. And I begin to ask myself, what kind of principle, what kind of belief must these people hold in order to live such a life? And in the midst of looking through different texts, James 5.10 stood out to me the most, all right? And it reads this, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, there's a little bit of context behind what James wrote, okay? At that time, historians believe that the letter of James was written shortly after the events in Acts 8, all right? And that gives us two very important information. Number one, the church at that time was very young. It consists of young Christians whom mostly were still Jews. And because they were young Christians, one of the questions, one of the major questions they had was how should Christian living look like in a practical manner? All right? And the second information that is very crucial is this. At that time in Acts 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, you can go and read. Because persecution was on the rise, all these young Christians had to be scattered all across Judea and Samaria. They had to go into new towns, new cities, new regions that potentially had no other Christians besides them. And therefore, you can see how important this question is for them. How should we live our life practically as a Christian in these places? And therefore, James writes to them. And in the midst of writing this letter, he highlights the reality of persecution. In fact, he says that this persecution is not something new. Come on. When you look in the Old Testament scriptures, you look, you can see that the prophets also experience persecution. So he was trying to tell them, this is not something new. And then James continues to say in verse 11, we consider those who endure to 
be blessed. Now, this is a very interesting statement to continue after that. So first, he tells them, okay, guys, take note. Persecution, this is not something new, guys, all right? Old Testament prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, they also had persecution. And then he says, but those who endured are blessed. And this word blessed, I did not put it on the slide. It means blessed as a result of enjoying benefits. And of course, when I read that, I'm like, what kind of benefit could this be? But I think James was trying to point out a very powerful principle behind this as he understands the history of persecution towards people who follow God. I think his conclusion was this, and this principle number one. There is a blessing that awaits those who stand their ground. In the midst of the persecution then, and in the uh, reality of the persecution back then, James concludes that, guys, take note. When you stand your ground, there's a blessing that awaits you. And I think this principle is so important. And it brings a lot of encouragement as well. And you know what? When James says it, he does not just brush it through. Instead, he continues to outline what exactly this blessing looks like. He says, you have heard about Job's endurance. Now, I hope I have more time uh, to talk about Job, but I can't. But when you look into the story of Job, uh, he was afflicted and all that. And I think the story of Job highlights really how uh, endurance, how this patience can look like in a practical manner. All right? Uh, potentially, we can dive into that later in the dialogue. But after looking at all that, James concludes with this next statement. So you have heard about Job's endurance and have seen the purpose of the Lord that the law is compassionate and merciful. Now, why are we blessed when we endure? Because in our endurance, we discover the Lord's purpose. That is one of the blessings that comes when we stand our ground. Now, some of you might know, uh, my mom uh, passed away because of cancer. It was a painful season for us. All right, so I've retell this story multiple times. So, and you know what? When I look back, by the grace of God, I think my family and I, we stood our ground. We did not give in uh, to sorrow. We did not blame God. We did not charge God with wrong uh, because of the situation we are in. We stood our ground and we continued to persist in our faith. And honestly, back then, in that moment of crushing, I thought this whole journey was just about me and God. Until recently, uh, I, I talk about my mom again in a teen's uh, service. And then after that service, I received a text from a teen. And the teen said, Jason, do you remember about the Mother's Day sermon you preached two years ago? So two years back, I, I preached on this stage uh, for Mother's Day and I talk about the journey we had after my mom's uh, passing. And then he said, you know, two years ago, you told that story and what you did not know was my family at that time we sort of were new to every nation, all right? And at that time, we were going through, as a family, a very difficult time. And then he texts me, but your story encouraged all of us. In fact, one of the people in their family that was really, really, uh, in a sense, going through a very difficult season was actually the brother of the teen. And the funny thing was the teen said, my brother's name, he, his name sounds like yours, okay? And in the Mother's Day sermon, I read a letter my mom wrote to me. And he said, it felt like the letter was also God speaking to the brother. 
You know, I would not have expected that to ever happen when I was going through my season of crushing. Never, I never thought about that. I was young back then. Because I stood my ground, I realized that God has a greater purpose. And I began to discover that. And of course, the Bible also talks about how through perseverance, by standing our ground, we also develop a character. Uh, another uh, book talks about how we develop maturity. The point is this. When we stand our ground in a season of crushing, eventually we will discover the Lord's purpose for that season. And the second blessing that comes is this. Remember, James talks about how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What's that? See, James was trying to say that we will be blessed because when we stand our ground, we discover the Lord's character. We don't just discover the Lord's purpose, the Lord's plan, but in the midst of that, we also discover who the Lord is. Recently, uh, I had a conversation with one of the team that I'm journeying with, one of the team that I'm discipling, and he was sharing me how he was having a lot of intrusive thoughts come into his mind, all right? And these intrusive thoughts uh, causes him to fear about his family's safety, fear about his family's health, fear about his future and all that, and he said, because of all these intrusive thoughts, he even struggled enjoy the things that he used to enjoy. When I heard that, of course, my heart ached listening to that. Upon that, I, I was like, what, how, how do you stand your ground in such a season? But I decided to take on the journey with him and also he, uh, his parents is very supportive and helping him as well. And slowly, step by step, we help him to not be deceived by those intrusive thoughts, to wrestle with these thoughts, to, to not accept it as a conclusion in, in his life, but to fight it back with the truth of God's Word. And eventually, recently, in one of our more recent one-to-ones, I asked him again, how is that coming along? And he said, bro, uh, the thoughts, they still come from time to time. But right now, I'm all the more confident and certain that the Lord is good and the Lord is loving. I think there's something when we choose to stand our ground in the midst of that process and at the end of it all, we have a greater sense of clarity about who God is. And I think that's why both Paul and, Roman, uh, and James, when they were writing their letter, they were saying, you know, in a season of crushing, really the best thing, the best thing you can do is to stand your ground because it's a blessing that awaits those who do. Are you in a season of crushing right now? Because I want to encourage you to continue to stand your ground and await for the blessing that will come. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and the last part, be constant in prayer. You know, recently I saw a meme, and the meme was really hilarious. It, it was uh, how this, this person said, oh, I'm going through a difficult time in my life. And, and then the response was, just pray about it. And then the picture was SpongeBob throwing some flowers onto Squidward's face. And Squidward was like pissed when he did that. And, 
You know, sometimes we look at this verse and we interpret it as such. It's just a careless way of, of dealing with someone else's problem. Oh, you got a problem? I pray about it. Ah. You got a problem? I pray about it. Ah. When you pray about it, then it's your problem. Ah. You deal with it. Ma. I'm out. You pray about it. Ah. You and God. Sometimes we may interpret it as such, but here's where the context of Romans becomes so important. You see, when, when you read through Romans, uh, one thing to understand is this. The church at that time has existed for, for a pretty long time. Okay? And because it has existed for a pretty long time, Paul felt that the church was pivotal to serve as a springboard to further his uh, missionary work. Alright? And because he saw the importance of the church in Rome, he felt the need to write to them to help give proper foundations and to establish proper beliefs and principles in their faith. And part of this establishing is really, you can see, you can read Romans. Paul often talks about the gospel of Christ. Okay, he's always bringing the church back to the significance and the centrality of Christ in the church. Constantly, you can read that. And the interesting thing is, so all that happened from Romans 1 all the way to chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, Paul then begins to talk about practical living as a Christian. How do you apply the Christian faith in a practical manner? And that's when we see Paul mentions, be constant in prayer. That means in Paul's eyes, being constant in prayer is a very practical thing to do as a Christian. Alright? And the basis behind that, again, we need to keep in mind, he had 11 chapters of context. And when you read through it, again and again, he brings in the importance and the centrality of Christ. He talks about in Romans 8, how Christ is interceding for us. He talks about how uh, no pain, no persecution, no trouble can separate us from the love of Christ. And when you piece these two thoughts together, here lies my second principle for today. In times of crushing, in times of crushing, we can pray knowing that Jesus is with us and for us. When Paul says pray about it, it's not just a careless statement, but rather it's a statement that is anchored in who Jesus is. I want to end with this. Um, and this next part is going to take pretty long, all right? So I want you to bear with me. Uh, because I felt the best way to illustrate principle number two is to read an excerpt from my mom's unfinished book. So in Mother's Day, two years back, I read a letter that my mom wrote to me. This is different. So. During my mom's journey through cancer, she decided to document her journey, sort of like a journal, uh, with the intention of it eventually becoming a book. Why I say it's an unfinished book is because she didn't manage to finish writing it before she passed away. And as I was reading through it, and I've read through it a few times, uh, I thought this part of a story uh, it's something that I, I hope to share for all of us because I think it 
it gives us clarity towards who Jesus is, all right? Um, and just another context behind that story. My mom was diagnosed with breast, breast cancer when I was 13 years old. I'm 24 this year, so if my math is right, that's like 11 years ago, okay? Uh, and then, and then so she had breast cancer when I was 13. She did chemo, 14 years old. It was okay, but when I was 15, her cancer came back. And this time it was stage 4 cancer. Doctor said she better prepare for her own funeral. But through a series of events, my mom experienced a miraculous healing. And then that year, we, we as a family, we went to the United States for vacation. It was probably my best memory ever with her. And then 16, when I was 16, at the end of that year, the cancer came back. 17, the cancer began to attack everywhere from neck and below onwards. There were tumours everywhere. Doctor even gave up counting, too many. And then when I was 18, 8th of April, that's when my mom passed away. So that's just a little backdrop. And the excerpt that I'm going to read from was during my mom's first knowledge that cancer has hit her. So I was 13 then. It was a breast cancer. So uh, at the point of this excerpt, she has just went for her operation uh, to remove the lumps in her breast, all right? And therefore, I'm going to read it for you now. I'm sure you have heard a common phrase that says, no news is good news. This round, this saying is not in my favour. On Monday evening, just three days after my operation, I received a phone call from my surgeon, Dr. Gore. Very gently and very slowly, he released the outcome of the biopsy. So on the phone, the doctor says, the report is out. I'm afraid I don't have very good news for you. In fact, it's bad news. All the lungs we removed are cancerous. I just want you to imagine if you were in my mom's shoe, you pick up the phone, you weren't expecting it and then the doctor says, the lungs we removed, all of them were cancerous. Then my mom continues to write, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know how to respond to the shocking and unexpected news. After a moment of silence, I asked, there be a mistake in the report? The doctor replied, no, definitely no mistake. However, it's not totally bad news altogether. The good news is all these are grade one cancer, meaning it's less aggressive and its early detection cure rate is high. Dr. Gore continued, but with this report, I'm afraid you can't conserve your breast anymore, especially the left one. You will need to come in for another surgery. Before he hung up the phone, Dr. God confidently yet compassionately continued. But right now, I want you to be very positive about this. Be positive, be positive, okay? The conversation ended with a, uh, using my mom's words, a uh, positive note, I think. A few minutes after receiving the unanticipated phone call, the word be positive seemed to stick in my mind, even though I did not know how to connect it to the news I received. 
be positive in the negative? How? I don't know how to be positive at this point except plainly allow the sound of Dr. God's voice be positive, keep ringing in my mind. Nonetheless, I was more than 100% stunned after the conversation. This is like the Titanic. I hadn't yet learned of my fate. I wasn't even on the lookout for icebergs. It's a silent and sudden hit beyond my expectation. This is just too much for me to take in. Too overwhelming. Inside my soul, I felt choked, dumb, stoned, scared, and really terrified. I wanted to scream, but was unable to scream. I don't have the strength to scream. I wanted to cry, but I can't cry. I was in a state of shock. I needed to talk to my husband who was at work immediately. I could be dying soon. My imagination went wild. I was at home with Janie, my daughter, who was eight years old then. Unfortunately, my husband cannot be reached even after many attempts of phone calls. He must be busy having back-to-back meetings. My hands started shaking. Then I thought about my brothers who are very close to me. I sent text message to one of my brothers in Singapore. Hopefully, he's available to talk. No reply. I called another brother of mine. I couldn't reach him as well. God, help me. I cried in my heart. I was so confused. I felt a weakening of my inner strength. I began to lose sight of hope. Finally, when my eight-year-old daughter saw me looking lost and crying, she came near and asked what had happened. I told her directly, Mommy has cancer. Immediately, she asked, Will you die? I started. Suddenly, I felt I needed to protect her from fear more than my own desires at the time. So I tried to be strong and said to Janie, no, mommy won't die. Jesus will heal mommy. Janie, relieved too, after hearing, uh, uh, relieved after answering uh, her one simple question. Janie was young at that time. However, I also felt relieved. Actually, I was facing doubt and great fear at that moment. I really do not know if I will survive. But strange enough, there was a glimpse of peace for a split second when I answered Janie, Jesus will heal mommy. Though I wasn't sure. However, there must be something powerful in the words of my reply to my daughter. It's not me or my makeup. It must be the name I mentioned to her. Jesus. how I wish I read this while my mom was still alive and was able to ask her what went through your mind but I believe at that moment perhaps she was reminded that even though it was a season of crushing she felt alone Jesus was still with her and Jesus is still for her You know, today, right now, maybe you're tuning in and you are in a season of crushing. It could be related to work, it could be related to family, it could be related to health. My first encouragement is this, stand your ground because there's a blessing that awaits you. My second invitation is that don't 
stand alone, but pray, pray consistently, pray constantly, knowing that Jesus is with you and for you. Let me close with a prayer. God, I, I thank you for this promise. God, indeed, God, there are seasons in our life where it's so difficult and we can't help but ask ourselves, how then shall we live? But I pray in seasons like that, we will know how to stand our ground. And we will always be reminded that you, Jesus, are with us and for us. And because of that, we can go through it, awaiting for the blessing that comes for us when we endure. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.